I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm taking the taboos of menopause and perimenopause and bringing light to the dark. No bullshit, no shame. It's time for us to gain a new paradigm in female health, out with the old and in with the new, and I'm bringing fresh perspectives from someone in the arena. I've been practicing women's health for nearly 20 years, and I'm spilling the tea on what it means to live at midlife, knowing that the best is yet to come. I'm sharing my Gen X approach to living through this transition. Sassy, a bit sweary, and always honest. Tactical tips and instantly usable information is my aim. I hope to make you laugh and that you learn something new that helps you embrace the change. Together, we bring power to the Perry. Onward to the podcast. Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause Podcast. I hope you're doing well. We've just come off the Thanksgiving weekend in the United States, and it's such a beautiful time of the year. We start looking towards getting our holidays arranged and family time, and I hope that you were able to, uh, if you celebrate, come together and enjoy yourself with loved ones. I know it's always about food and family and football. And yes, I am Canadian, and we celebrate both Thanksgivings in this house because my husband's American. So, all right. Uh, So I have a really exciting interview to share with you today. Uh, This was a conversation I recently had with Dr. Prudence Hall, who is a pioneer in women's hormone restoration optimization. And she and I had such a fun conversation. She is just an exceptionally awesome, intelligent, uh, kind, uh, and supportive woman. And I think anybody that had a chance to uh, be has had a chance to be a part of her practice uh, is blessed, really. And she's had some pretty famous people as patients. And uh, in our conversation, we talked uh, about that, and we talked about her appearance on the Oprah Winfrey Show, uh, etc. So, just really a fun conversation about women's health. Please allow me to read you uh, Dr. Prudence Hall's bio. She started as a traditional gynecological surgeon and transitioned her career to focus on regenerative and integrative medicine. As the founder of the Hall Center in Santa Monica, California, she saw a critical need to address the problems confronting women and men experiencing the stubborn and often debilitating symptoms associated with aging. Her practice is focused exclusively on regenerative medicine, looking into the root causes of conditions and diseases rather than simply treating symptoms. She strives to help clients achieve optimal health and actively prevent disease without the use of pharmaceutical drugs when appropriate. As a health consultant, she strives to help clients achieve optimal well-being and actively prevent inevitable decline using proven natural regenerative methods. She is also the author of Radiant Again and Forever. You can find out more about Dr. Hall on her website, which is thehallcenter.com. 
Now, I do believe she wrote the uh, foreword to one of Suzanne Summers' books. So this is a lady who's been doing this a long time. She's got a lot of wisdom to share, and uh, it was beautiful to be in a container with her to have this conversation about women's health. I hope you enjoy it. Now, as always, if you want the video version of this conversation, please join my Patreon membership, patreon.com slash Dr. Fiona Lovely, as one word. And if you need uh, to find out more about me and my work, please go to my website, drlovely.com, or you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Dr. Fiona Lovely. Also on Facebook at Not Your Mother's Menopause Podcast. I think that's it. I just want you to dig into this conversation. It was so juicy. It was so good. So before we have uh, a listen to my chat with Dr. Hall, uh, let's have a word from our sponsor. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day in the morning to break my fast. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body, that I'm covering my nutritional bases. This simple daily habit allows me to cover those nutritional bases no matter what the day brings. Oh my gosh, because we never know what the day is going to bring. AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health, replacing your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. That's drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. You can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. Today, I have the incredible pleasure of having a conversation with Dr. Prudence Hall of the Hall Center in Santa Monica, California. Dr. Hall, welcome to the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. What a pleasure, Fiona, Dr. Lovely. What a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So I have to cop to being a little bit of a fan before we say too much here. Uh, Years and years ago, I happened to catch you doing a summit from the Hall Center, and uh, I learned so much about hormones and HRT, and of course, HRT was very much verboten still at that time, because it had been post-Women's Health Initiative, but pre, hey, we need to get our heads out of our butts and actually take care of women (laughs) in this age group, which is what I'd like to think we're going through now. And I saw you do a number of beautiful interviews on that summit. And one of those interviews with, was with Suzanne Summers, who was deeply in- influential for me as well. So I just want to say thank you for everything that you have taught me, not just through that summit, but everything that came afterwards. And I was just thrilled when your people reached out and said, would you like to have a conversation with Dr. Hall? The answer is hell yes. And my answer was, please, let's do it. <laughs> Good because we're, we're both here to educate women about menopause. And it starts so early. Women don't realize that it starts sometimes as early as 35, and certainly perimenopause starts early. So we're here to serve. And I certainly am grateful. Thank you, Dr. Lovely. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Well, I'm excited to see where this conversation goes. And and yes, I quite often hear that when I'm having conversations with women. I'm in the place now where I literally will just greet a woman, whether it's a patient or a friend or a family member, and I give them a hug and I say, how's the menno? And it's funny <laughs> because if they haven't seen me do it yet, then it's sort of like, oh, like you can't do that. That's like asking how my period is. Absolutely. Not only can we do it, but we should be doing it. And quite often I hear women say, oh, I'm not there yet. And I know their birthdays and I'm thinking, mm, sister. <laughs> so we need to get that education out. Uh, yes. And so many women, when I talk to them on their first visit, they might be 47 and they said, oh, it can't be happening now. It's like you're deep in menopause. You've been in menopause probably three or four years. And women just, I think, knowing that at any age, your ovarian hormones can decline. And if they decline a little bit, that's perimenopause. When they decline all the way, that's menopause. And uh, knowing the symptoms really helps, I think, Fiona. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's one of those things where we have not associated what, I mean, we only think that the symptom of menopause is when your period stop. Oh, no. But menopause, we're not a... Right. It can start three or four years before the period starts, uh, stops. And, uh, you know, I follow the FSH, the, the brain hormone that, that is really important that just like the thyroid stimulating hormone, it'll tell us when we're in menopause. So above 20 generally indicates menopause and women can have regular periods and have all the symptoms in the book about menopause and, and not recognize that they're in menopause and just think they're going crazy and it's really scary for them. Well, and I think those those early meno or perimenopausal uh, symptoms, we don't associate at all with the egress of hormones. And that's, you know, generally speaking, it's the, the sleep quality changes, the metabolic stuff changes. So you find that you can't eat the things you used to without gaining weight and also our moods. Yes, depression, sadness, anxiety, the brain, and I know you know a lot about that, the brain is really highly influenced by estrogen. Yes, very much. Very, very much. And and I love Lisa Moscone's research on this. Uh, she is really the one that's um, championing the movement forward, looking at menopause as actually a neurological uh, dis, I don't want to say disorder isn't right it, it, because it's not. It's a natural process. But at the same time, we need to look at it um, from what the brain is up to, not just sort of dealing with the symptoms of skipping periods or heavy bleeds. Those are important too, but actually looking at the brain and seeing what it's up to. I mean, there's no doubt, Dr. Fiona, that menopause is a systemic decline. I, I call it a death process. Try not to be too negative. But when we reach, you know, sort of the, the menopausal uh, summit, <laughs> which yeah. stays there for the rest of our life. I mean, so many women say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm through all that. It's like, no, you're not, you know, once you go into menopause, unless you correct those hormones, <laughs> you're going to be in menopause for the rest of your life, even if you don't feel all the, the symptoms. But, you know, when we reach menopause, the body really starts to decline. Sugar goes up, stress goes up, inflammation goes up, all the cancers go up, autoimmunity uh, increases. And definitely, like you said, the brain starts to feel the impact of low estrogen. And, you know, Dale Bredesen is absolutely wonderful also. And and he says, I call him the prince. (laughs) Maybe he's the king. The prince. (laughs) research. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he 
he strongly endorses testosterone for men for their brain and estrogen for women. We need our brain. We absolutely really need our brain. Absolutely. Well, I was looking at the numbers this morning. I'm doing a presentation tomorrow in the clinic and the numbers for uh, women avoiding uh, diagnosis of Alzheimer's if we're taking appropriately timed estradiol in particular is a decrease of 36%. That's 36% less women having an Alzheimer's diagnosis if we keep estrogen in a physiologic level. Let's discuss that. Well, physiologic level is important. Uh, My goal has always been to replace to youthful levels levels of of estradiol, which is someplace between 100 picograms to 250. Um, And I think that that is very important. Uh, My neighbor just (laughs) probably, I think it's about two weeks now, was telling me how depressed she was and how anxious she is. And it's like, now, you're on estrogen, right? And she said, oh, yes. It's like, what are you on? And she's on the point zero two five estradiol patch. That will never bring that. I said, just put on two patches. We'll check your levels. I mean, that'll never handle menopause. And in almost, well, three and a half decades, I've never seen low levels of estradiol uh, where your levels are 20, 30, 40, 50, really impact the total structure of your body. And we want not only the symptoms to completely disappear, which I think, Dr. Lovely, you and I can both assure women that those symptoms will be gone when we treat them, you know, the full spectrum, you know, the whole, you know, replace all the hormones that are missing. And uh, yeah, so physiologic youthful levels. I'm so happy to agree on that. That's that's, that's really a big one. I love to see testing on this because I know there's a lot of the menopause influencers that are saying, oh, you don't need to test, just get started. And I understand why they're saying that because that's just another barrier to Western medicine, traditional medicine saying yes to prescribing hormones for women. And I get that. But I I know too much. I know that you can have way too much estrogen. You can have not enough progesterone. Those two things are kind of the most likely of the of the. And in which case, you can be taking HRT and mimicking the symptoms that you have in uh, in perimenopause. I measure hormones uh, before I see my my client on the first visit. And it's quite a wide level of hormones. So I'm looking at their inflammation markers, homocysteine. I look at the, you know, of course, the lipids and then the small dense particles like the ApoB, LP little a, and then all the hormones. So the thyroid, the adrenal stress hormones that sit back on your back, pituitary hormones. And I cannot understand why gynecologists and endocrinologists are not following the follicle stimulated hormone. Because this little guy up here, this pituitary gland, is our master controller. And uh, really, the brain tells us, eat, you're hungry, sleep, you're tired, drink, you're thirsty. Uh, You know, it really controls the body's function. Mm -hmm. And it controls it through hormones. So hormones are our body's software. It tells our body what to do. And not to measure those hormones, I think, is, is really... I think I think that's a, a an error. I've, I've measured hundreds, well, really millions, probably of levels, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. And it's just it's important to say, okay, your follicle stimulating hormone was seventy five, and above twenty is menopausal, and now it's fifty. The brain is asking for more estradiol, a little bit more. 
and you yeah. you're correlating symptoms, all the blood work, you know, your your cholesterol, your your ApoB is still elevated. Let's just try to bring this into a, a physiologically more youthful level by mm -hmm. adding blah, blah, blah. And so we look at the downstream uh, effects of what we're doing in the body. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So I can hear my listeners, and of course, we have uh, asking a question in my head, which I'll get to here in a minute. We have um, essentially 50 years of research that says hormones are beneficial for women to take, and then we have the disastrous Women's Health Initiative and the misinterpretation of the data that was in there and the setup that was inappropriate for that, uh, women that were too far past menopause, that had that weren't particularly healthy, that sort of thing. So what do you say when a woman comes to see you and or when you're having a conversation with somebody and they say, you know, I'm just really afraid to take hormones because I think it's going to cause breast cancer or blood clots or et cetera? What do you yeah. tell them? Well, I think that we need to be careful regardless of what we do with our bodies. And there have been trends in medicine that have not been as positive as other trends. So the trend, this Women's Health Initiative, was published in 2001. And that was a study that looked at Primarin, and that's pregnant mare's urine, Primarin, uh, where little catheters were put, or big catheters were put in pregnant horses' uh, bladders to drain the urine. And then it was spun into Primarin, which was considered to be an estrogen replacement hormone. And uh, it also Provera, which was a synthetic a non-bioidentical progesterone. And when that study came out in 2001, it showed that there was really a big increase in breast cancer, as well as dementia, as well as inflammatory disorders. And um, I had not been using Primer at that point since 1983. So I was going, okay, great. And I hadn't used Provera ever really. I mean, very briefly. So I was going, okay, great. I haven't been doing that. Um, but then we started to learn that that study, as you said, uh, Dr. Lovely, was very uh, flawed. And they came out with another study in uh, 20 years later, so it was 2021, um, that showed that women who were on Primarin alone, and they had had hysterectomy, so they didn't need, you know, they were not given whether you need or not, they were not given uh, Provera, and they actually had a decreased incidence of breast cancer. Now, did they have the effects, uh, I mean, the good benefits of bioidenticals? No, not, no, they didn't. So I'm not advocating the use of Primarin. But I tell women there have been so many studies showing the benefits of estradiol in terms of, and I, I you and I both mentioned them, but, you know, the primary one <laughs> that the medical board actually allows me to speak about <laughs> is symptom control and bone loss. That That's all I can say, frankly, but, you know, I go well beyond that and really go into the studies. So when you look at all the benefits of the hormones and the risk of the hormones, a lot of the studies show decreased breast cancer. A few studies show increased breast cancer by very, very small amount, like one increase per 100. A lot of studies just show no difference in terms of breast cancer, but boundless benefits in terms of all the other 
uh, risk factors that we have for death and, and decline. So I personally have been on these hormones for, it's probably been about 25 years now. Uh, and I have patients who have been on bioidentical hormones for 35 years or more. And the incidence of breast cancer in, in, in my center is very low. And I have women on physiologic levels. So I, 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 there's a wonderful book that, that I love. It's by a breast oncologist at USC at Keck School of Medicine. Yes. <laughs> oh, Dr. Lovely. And he says, okay, you've had breast cancer. We can still give you estrogen. It's safe. It's very, very safe. And he quotes, I mean, yes. how many studies does he quote? You know, Dr. Yes. Abel Blooming. Absolutely. Estrogen As matters. Yeah. Estrogen matters. Yeah. So I just held up the book because I knew for whatever reason, I took it out this morning. I thought, I have a feeling we're going to talk about this book. So just put it next to you on the desk. And I've been talking about this book quite a bit lately. It's called Estrogen Matters. It's by Avram Blooming and Carol Tavris. And uh, uh, they are both doctors. And um, what I've suggested to people that are having a difficult time or women that are having a difficult time to get their doctors to prescribe hormones is to take their doctors this book. Yes. Doctors probably won't read it. It's so sad, Dr. Lovely. You know, yeah. it's so discouraging that because you could go from, you know, being open minded, which you know, you would think a lot of young doctors are, and then you go, you can go all the way to shaming the woman who's asking for, for hormones. And my kind of experience as a gynecologist is that gynecologists are shaming women and saying, how could they possibly do this to their body? They're, they're hurting their body, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. just, it's like, oh, please go to the friggin' library. Yes. Research. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and you know, there's a lot of reasons why that happens and, you know, we'll, we'll have that conversation at another time, but the, I think it's changing. And I think by, I, what I encourage women to do is to continue to ask for what they want. Even if the doctor says, no, be the squeaky wheel. It's the only way this is going to change is if enough of us go to our GPs, because they're generally the ones that are the starting of this, right? And say, hey, I want some hormones. Oh, that, that is exactly right. We're no longer in the position of being meek women, you know, knowing that the doctor knows what's best for us. No, doctors don't always know what's best for us, especially when doctors have maybe 10 minutes to spend with you. You know your body and hormones are safe. They're important. They're life-changing. And I, 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 I know because I've lived this with thousands and thousands, I don't know, 30,000 or more patients, that the way you manage your menopause is the, is the whole second half of your life that you create. So managing your menopause, taking it into your own hands, and really having important conversations with your doctor about going on hormone replacement, bioidentical hormone replacement, I mean, we can advocate for ourselves. And as, as a gynecologist, I love it when my patients show me articles or ask about new things. And really, don't, wouldn't you say that, that our patients are some of our wonderful teachers? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep, always. My whole, my whole career has been like that. It's, uh, you know, when I, when I started to really look at HRT, because for a lot of years I thought, oh, we should do this naturally. We should, until I started to get really 
um, more significant symptoms myself. And then it just so happened that that all happened about the time that the research was starting to change. We're starting to accept HRT. By the way, I want to say that the first time I heard a breast cancer surgeon say ERT or HRT or ERT, so estrogen replacement therapy or hormone replacement therapy for our listeners, was even something that could be used during breast cancer treatment was on that summit that you had that I watched of yours years ago. So again, thank you for introducing me to that, but it can be quite safe and it can be used for treatment of breast cancer. I've taken care of hundreds of women with breast cancer. And when women have breast cancer, I always want to get an oncologist involved who's uh, an aware and awake, uh, you know, oncologist. And uh, Avon Blooming is now retired. Julie Taguchi is a wonderful doctor, a big oncologist. And I make sure that I have, you know, somebody who deals exclusively with oncology to say that it's safe for the patient to use uh, uh, HRT. Uh, And the answer is usually yes. And like you said, you know, I I would tell people, take that book also to your doctor. And, uh, you know, Dr. Blooming, as an oncologist, um, he got kind of frustrated, I think, in his career because he wanted to do very advanced studies that he was stopped from, from doing. But he he absolutely says it's if this were his daughter who had breast cancer, he would agree that it is perfectly reasonable for her to go on hormones. And, you know, there's a big surge. I was having a conversation with Dr. Taguchi the other day, and, and there is a big surge right at menopause of breast cancer. And I was discussing with her, well, what did, what did she think is an oncology? She said, I think it's a loss of hormones and the, the decline that women experience when they start losing their estrogen because they lose their estrogen, which affects, uh, uh, in, you know, impacts their adrenal stress hormones. Because menopause is extremely stressful to the body. And then those adrenal stress hormones, which sit right on top of the kidneys, they rise and then they fall. And that's a shield around us to protect us against cancer and fatigue and decline and and it protects the brain. And, you know, I just see that all the hormones start to decline, the thyroid, the uh, adrenal stress hormones, the ovarian hormones, you know, the... Um, the sugar goes up, you know, the insulin sugar, which is, you know, a whole hormonal system in the pancreas goes up. So we really, we really want to build a, a beautiful body and hormones, Absolutely. hormones are those body software that really help to build it. I love that calling it the body software. And what you're saying is the argument for starting HRT before you've had your last period, do not wait. You don't need to experience the decline. Right. Knowing that menopause starts three or four years before that last period in many, many women, uh, and knowing that you lose about a third of your bones, a half, a, a, a quarter to a third of your bones in the first three years of menopause. And that's just one area where you're losing uh, physiologic strength and function. You don't want to wait I love it when women come to me around 38, 39, 40, 41 and say, you know, something's wrong. And it's like, yeah, you don't have any estrogen. It's really, really low. So being aware, being aware that the that menopause is no longer at 50, 51, 52. And, and Dr. Lovely, it was when I started out three and a half decades ago. I I was taking care of a lot of the mothers (laughs) with bioidentical problems, I would state. Wow. um, 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, I have so many things I want to ask you in this moment after you just, <laughs> let's see if I can pick a gooder. So, so you've been doing this more than 30 years, practicing more than 30 years. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I graduated from my, my gynecology residency in obstetrics and gynecology in 1982. And I came out, you know, there was no arrogance that was really taught to us, but there was a certain amount of super confidence. So I came out super confident. I can handle anything, botched abortions, that <laughs> you know, illegal abortions, you know, people really on the verge of death. I mean, because I was dealing with in working with the poorest and most needy patients over at, at the USC County Hospital. And then my menopausal patients started to come in and I gave them Primer and I gave them Provera. This is in 1983 now. And they would come back to me crying, saying, this isn't working. It's like, it's not working. And this really propelled me into a state of, of just real kind of disbelief and sadness because I'm, I'm here to serve women. I, I, I came out of the women's movement wanting to, and having four sisters, you know, wanting to, wanting to help women. And they were miserable, these menopausal patients. And that's what started my search for bioidentical hormones. And I went to Germany and to Europe and I went to, uh, to France and I learned about them at a very early stage. And they were, I mean, they were fabulous for women back then and they still are fabulous for women now we're, we're we're getting better and better all of us as a group yes and now it's more accepted of course for us to look at that and say how do we take it now my understanding of the research is that the safest way to take hrt although it's individualized for everyone but just a basic basic rules are bioidentical progesterone and dermal application estradiol let's discuss so bioidentical hormones, just to, I, I'm sure all your listeners know because you've talked about this, are exactly the same hormones that our body makes, as opposed to many other hormones that are still on the market and widely marketed uh, that, that are not the same hormones. So it's like, knock, knock, knock on the door. Here's some flowers. Okay, that's bioidentical hormones. You know, it's enhancing our life. Or knock, knock, knock on the door. It's a robber. So you don't want to use hormones that create inflammation and that don't really target and and are the same hormones that we that we were making our whole life. So bioidentical hormones are the way to go. And then what was your question? <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, it was just about asking about dermal application of oh, yes, estradiol. Yes. As the safest application. Yes. I went down that rabbit hole. Yes. Okay, girlfriend, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Transdermal application is absolutely the way to go with with uh, estradiol, and there are a number of different preparations that are out there. There's if you go the pharmaceutical route, there's the patch, and that is bioidentical. If you go with a compounding pharmacy, which I I generally like, I, I use everything, frankly, but then that um, that is another very very good. Uh, let's see, I have some. I have one. This is my desk, and I'm talking to new patients all the time. So this is what the bioidentical hormones uh, in the compounded uh, category look like. And you just it's, it you know just comes off the top. So what I do a lot, Fiona, of course, is looking at the hormone levels and the effects that I'm getting. So it's not just how much you apply; it's how much you absorb, and how effective it is in changing the way your body is functioning and what your cells are doing and reversing aging. 
Um, so I, I use the Meridian Valley, that's Jonathan Wright's 24-hour Meridian Valley urine test to see what the downstream breakdown of the hormone metabolites of the hormone are hormones are. And when I'm using the cream, those breakdown products, you know, the 16 hydroxies, which you want in various four hydroxyesterones and some twos, you, you, you don't want the fours. You don't, you don't really want those. And those less optimal metabolites are lower with the creams and with, you know, the transdermal methods. Now I use drops, I use vaginal inserts, I use trochees, but I, I try not to. I go to those methods and then measure their downstream metabolites also. But I use those methods when uh, women are not absorbing the transdermal uh, hormones. And I think one of the interesting co- uh, conversations around uh, these hormones now is compounding versus what's available by prescription. If it's av- uh, by, um, uh, what's the right word I want to use? It's covered by insurance. So, for example, we might talk about prometrium instead of compounded uh, progesterone. So, you know, we're we're in a time where women's hormones, what Viagra will cost you, you can get a 30-day supply, although... God knows where that's going <laughs> for, you know, a dollar, but a, a a tube of vaginal estrogen can cost you hundreds of dollars. Yes. And so I don't know where they think all those erect penises are going, but anyways, uh, I think that's something, <laughs> I think that's something to talk about. Or, 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 yeah. Well, <laughs> naughty, naughty. <laughs> so, you know, have you, uh, um, you know, there's a it's it becomes a question of affordability of hormones for women of from all walks of life. Absolutely. So, uh, I I use Prometrium from the moment it came on the market, and I do think it's a wonderful product. It it has you know certain kind of excipients in it. It's in peanut oil, which is not always the best oil to use. But I, I think that the the capsules of progesterone. Uh, pharmaceutical and bio, you know, compounded are both very, very good products. Um, when you start looking at the patch, if you don't have good insurance, the patch can be two or three hundred dollars a month. Yes. But if you have insurance, then it could be more reasonable, like $20, $40 a month. Now, these little guys, these little tubes, and there are 120 clicks in each toppy clicker, cost about $50. So if you do one click in the morning and one click at night, which is generally uh, twice a day dosing, that would be about $25 a month, which is usually equivalent to the copay that a lot of women uh, have to pay. Yes. I absolutely do not like the creams that are out there. Unfortunately, that the pharmaceutical companies are making, they're very, very weak, and they're very, very expensive. Interesting. Interesting. A patient told me the other day that she just couldn't afford it. It's like, what are you using? And she said, well, I'm using estrogel, various preparations, and it was $300 a month for her. So That's that's pink tax at its worst is what that is. Yeah. And I, I always have a discussion with women, you know, what method would you like to use? And do you want to try to see if you can get it covered by your insurance? Because I don't want women spending their money unwisely. I really want them to be able to maintain this for years and years and years, well past retirement, their whole life. Yes, yes, absolutely. Do you know, I realized I was going to say this a little bit earlier in our conversation, but when I started to become aware of just how, uh, 
healthy women that start taking hormones while they're still bleeding or shortly after they stop are when I started to look at the women in my practice that are the healthiest in their 80s, in their late 70s, I realized that most of them have been taking hormones and they just didn't stop taking them when the WHI came out. Their doctors may have told them to, but they went, no, to heck with that, I'm going to keep taking them. Or they tried to come off them and and didn't have a good uh, experience, so they went back on them. I thought, now, isn't that just fascinating? Yeah, it's fascinating to me. Fascinating. I was talking to a doctor uh, maybe a couple of months ago, and he was saying that his mother had breast cancer and she was put on hormones. Uh, she, she decided to stay on hormones. The doctors didn't know it. She stayed on hormones and the breast cancer didn't reoccur, didn't reoccur 30 years later, 35 years later. And then a doctor found out that she was on hormones and she'd had breast cancer. And he said, you must come off. She came off her breast cancer immediately emerged and she was dead within two months. So it's like, you know, wow. really decrease some of the core root causes of cancer, such as inflammation and stress and high sugar. And, and yes. these are really three very important co- uh, core root causes of, of cancer, inflammation. Yeah. You know? Yes, yes. Women. And of all-cause mortality, we know that hormones uh, decrease all-cause mortality. That's what the research is showing us. So whether we're talking about the big ones that tend to be the reason why us in the privileged uh, world uh, have our demise from heart disease or cancer yes. or Alzheimer's, um, we know that hormones can help with all of this. That's what the research is teaching us. Oh, Dr. Lovely, that's exactly right. And I think the reason why I'm still in this field after so many years is I am delighted when I'm sitting with a patient that happens every day, all day long, where their cholesterol was 253 and their ApoB was 150. Now, ApoB is a big marker for heart disease. It's one of the small, dense LDL particles. So I always measure the ApoB and it's, 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 it's 253. And then they come back after, you know, generally around the three or four month period. And that, that cholesterol has fallen to 190. Their ApoB is like 88. So, I mean, you want to change people's lives and decrease heart disease. Yes. Yes. yeah. Exactly. It's the number one killer of women. That's one in two of us, as you know. Number one. Now, I've had four women in this enormous practice that I've had over the years who have had heart disease. I mean, not heart disease, heart attacks. They're all alive. They're thriving. And one of them, the, the woman said, well, you know, they think I had a heart attack. They aren't sure. So I counted her. But this is an impossible statistic to have four women who have had a heart attack. You know, yeah. with all thousands of women, it is very protective against heart disease. Someone needs to do a research study on that right there. Oh, it's it's been researched, yeah. And yeah, we need to, yeah, I wish I had the, the funds and the, the time to do research. The, t- on the time and the interest. It takes a, it's a very different thing being a clinician versus being a researcher. It's a very <laughs> different thing. I like people too much to be in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes, I, I get that about you. Okay, let's take it back a little bit. You said you graduated uh, in 1983, and I have heard, and you're an OBGYN by uh, by your degree, yes? Oh, yes. Yes. So I've heard that the training for OBGYNs on menopause is next to nothing. That is unfortunately correct. Now, I went into the menopause clinic for 
you know, I mean, each, each, that we had these rotations that we would do in the menopause clinic was one of the rotations that I did every year for four years. And uh, we would basically measure the FSH, you're in menopause, give them primer and provera and say, see you back in a year. So that's what I was taught. Whereas endocrinology and infertility, oh my goodness, the workups that were done for those women were extensive. Dr. Lovely, menopause has been ignored as a tremendous risk factor for women's uh, health, all of her health, pre disease prevention, and all of her happiness. And oh, yeah. you know, menopausal women, in terms of their, their brain, they become bitter and angry, and they become isolated. Disconnected. Disconnected. Yeah. It's kind of like, what's the, you know, people talk about end-stage uh, heart disease, where you sit on a couch, and you can't walk because you're not, the heart can't keep up with, you know, circulating your blood. So what's end-stage menopause? Well, it's the witch. She's isolated. The house is a mess because she's too tired to clean it. And maybe her brain is not working so well. So she's, you know, paranoid and doesn't want to answer the door. She has hair that's haggardly. Her skin looks terrible. I mean, she's broken a hip, so she has a... She yeah. has, a, you know, a cane and the little kids come by and she screams at them. Well, menopause isolates us. It's it's oh. one, of the, one of the very important things. Women say, look, I just don't want to go out with my friends. I just want to stay at home. And that is a real sign of menopause. The fact that we, you wow. know, we want to just go away and be by ourselves. When, Let's when, not forget the hairs on the chin for the witch, eh? Yeah, I forgot that one. Hairs on the chin. Yeah. When you have... I mean, I've heard. <laughs> yes. When you have a lack of estrogen, you do develop these hairs. Yes. <laughs> so I I love what we're talking about right now, because I think this is really one of those things that, I mean, yes, we can talk about menopause and the skipping periods or the heavy bleeds or the sleeplessness or the gaining weight, all of that. But it's the disconnection, it's the mood elevation issues, it's the depression and anxiety and disconnection, like I said, of that happens when the hormonal egress starts to starts to really occur in earnest. And um, recently I had a patient come to see me. I hope she's listening to this episode because I think she'll find my description of this quite funny. But she came to see me and she said, okay, I did exactly what you told me to do. I went to my doctor. I said, okay, this is what I want. Here's the list of symptoms that I've got. And the doctor looked and, and she said, and I, I want to know if I'm a candidate for HRT. And she and I are the same age, so 50. And uh, she said the doctor looked at her list and said, oh, you're just depressed. Here's an antidepressant. Oh, I know. Now, she came to see me five days. It happens all the time, yeah. No, it's a tragedy. It really is a tragedy, a misdiagnosis. And not, look, the first thing you should do is just check the hormones just, you know, even if you're a non-believer, just check the hormones, see where they are, and try to treat the core root cause. Yes. Of one of the tenets of yes, the functional medicine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she said, it's been five days that I've taken this, and I don't feel good taking it at all. Like, I don't want to take it, but I want to listen to what my doctor said, and, you know, what should I do? Meanwhile, I'm literally, like, running laps around my, my treatment room going, <laughs> God, we can't do this to women. We got to stop. And she's like, okay, I'm feeling your passion. 
Yeah, yeah. But that, that estrogen... Passion. It's righteous passion. It is really, you know, taking, taking, taking your patient's pain <laughs> seriously. Yes, absolutely. Good thing for them. Yes, absolutely. That's always what I wish to do. But, you know, some things I, I have control over and some things I don't. And in this case, what infuriates me is that I had taken the time to listen to my patient, to hear what she had to say, and to say, please take the request for these blood tests to your doctor. And this is how you, you know, encourage the conversation about, am I a candidate? And he outright said, no, this isn't menopause. You're still bleeding. Here's, here's the antidepressant. When you talk about who is a candidate for, for a hormone replacement, um, so first of all, you have symptoms. And, and secondly, you are, have decreased estradiol levels and decreased hormones, you know, other hormones, because I look at all the hormones. And thirdly, you, you, you maybe are starting to have, you know, hypertension or inf- inflammatory markers that are high. Or, you, you know, so many women say, my body feels so old. I, I, you know, everything hurts. So symptoms and then, you know, blood work that, that, you know, indicates that the estradiol level is lower. Everyone really is a candidate. The only person or the only group of people that I screen much more would be women who have breast cancer. And uh, it's, I would say 99% of the time, those women are approved for estrogen. So interesting, isn't it? It's quite, that flies right in the face of what we've been frightened about. Right. We're told that estrogen increases breast cancer and that it causes cancer in general. And it's really just the opposite. It, it helps to prevent most of the cancers. Uh, yeah. It's a huge impact. It's kind of like saying, well, I'm just going to sit down at this computer and there's no software in it, but I know everything's going to be fine. And you brought up something that I thought was interesting, uh, Dr. Lovely. Why not just let nature take its path? I mean, we're, we love natural as women. We, we like natural, you know, a lot of us do. And uh, we, we don't want to interfere with what the body is doing. And, and what I respond to that is that the body <laughs> is controlled by some of the forces of nature. And what happens in nature? The salmon spawn, then they die. You know, so really nature has its goal as propagation of the population of the species. It doesn't want the species to be extinct. So around menopause, when we no longer can reproduce, well, that's when the decline in the illnesses start. It's kind of like mother nature saying, okay, we're going to eliminate you because you can't have a child. You aren't going to be part of that biological um, support for the species and send those men to younger women, younger women to have more babies. And also, it's kind of like, well, we know a lot about aging. We know a lot about prevention. And you're having a heart attack. They're rushing you to the cath lab. And you say, no, 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 let's let nature take its course. It's okay. Let nature take its course. You die. So, you know, we know so much about prevention of disease. And we're really at quite an advanced level now. Uh, you know, our history of Western medicine is 120 years. It's not very long. And, and, but we're learning very rapidly. And so we want to guide our health. And we know about diet. We know about detoxification. We know about sleep, how important that is. We know about certain vitamins and minerals that really help us. So why not, why not help maintain our health 
using the same hormones that our body has always made. It's, it's really a very smart path. Absolutely smart. And there's a couple of things I'd like to uh, add to that. The first is that women generally have better health than men until menopause. Mm -hmm. And then rapidly things decline for us. So the theory with that is, of course, and I think it can't be much of a theory anymore, is just that with the the egress of hormones, as the hormones leave the building, now, as you've talked about, the inflammatory uh, response goes up. There's an insulin problem. There's a number of other things that go on, and that accounts for us having all of a sudden develop uh, uh, health issues around that time. And the other thing I like to just remind uh, my patients, in particular when I'm talking to them, is 120-ish years ago, the life expectancy for a woman was 50. That's my age right now. That was what I was expected to live for if I had been born 120 years ago. So the science of menopause is emerging and changing Mm -hmm. all the time, and we had to press pause on it for about 20 years because of this crummy research. Right now we're catching up. That's right. Yeah, this is exactly my experience too. Is that so many women come into into on their first visit? This this happened yesterday. <laughs> a woman came in. She said, "Oh, I know my cholesterol's fine. I know my sugar's fine because it was fine last year." And suddenly, in menopause, or you know, she wasn't quite in menopause, but you know, pretty pretty darn low. Suddenly, her her cholesterol, her LDL, her ApoBs were high. Her sugar was high. And, you know, it's just like, it's like this, low estrogen, high sugar, low estrogen, high inflammation, low estrogen, high LDL cholesterol and ApoBs and all of those subparticles, low estrogen, uh, high stress. And, and yeah, so those, those things cause those root factors, those core root factors really uh, age women very quickly. And especially with the heart disease, you know, that is, that is right. We are protected up until menopause, at which point our incidence and our level of heart disease and heart attacks equals men's. We don't have to die of a heart attack. Mm-mm. We don't have to die of these diseases. They're preventable. Mm-mm. That's right. And preventable. Isn't that fascinating? Just let that sink in. To my listeners, just let that sink in. Preventable and safe. The treatments for these things Listen, the treatment for statins, or sorry, the treatment for high cholesterol is not statins. It's looking at what's causing the cholesterol to be high. It's not because you were eating like crap, boo. Like maybe that's the case in some way, but very rarely. There's a lot of other reasons, stress being number one, but also the hormonal egress. Yeah, and so we can look at all these things and say, okay, what is the actual treatment for estrogen-deficient uh, estrogen deficiency causing depression or high inflammation because of the hormones going low than they ever lower than they ever have and and I think it bears mentioning that when we're talking about hormone replacement we're talking about levels that are actually quite a bit less than you had when you were cycling in your reproductive years correct correct absolutely yeah. correct yes so why would we be afraid of it all of a sudden because we were told. Look, that women's health initiative scared everyone to death. And when women came off of Primarin and Provera, the national uh, statistic for breast cancer did go down. And so it's like, okay, that proves it. You know, estrogen causes breast cancer and is not good for us. But 
you know, that's Primarin. And we know that Primarin and Provera, we know that the Provera is really a carcinogen. It's, yes. it's, not, it's not real progesterone. Progesterone helps to prevent breast cancer. The, the, the bioidentical natural progesterone, like Prometrium and like the compounded progesterones, uh, you know, those are very beneficial in the studies. We really document that progesterone is very helpful for decreasing breast cancer and decreasing cancer in general. Um, Not to mention increasing quality of sleep and quality of life. <laughs> yes. Progesterone releases GABA in the brain. So if you can't get on progesterone, take some 500 milligrams of GABA or some 5-HTP that breaks down into melatonin. I just love melatonin for sleep. Uh, Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So the first time I heard about the difference between really uh, um, in terms of the risk-wise between pro- uh, uh, bioidentical progesterone and the synthetics, which is progestin. We talk about that a lot on the podcast. So my listeners are very well informed on that. The first time I heard somebody really talk about it was when I took Dale Bredesen's brain uh, training, his Alzheimer's program. And it was Dr. Anne Hathaway talking about the research around that. Right. Okay. And yeah, it's a very important thing to look at. And, and depending on who you're following on Instagram, where you're getting your in- information, um, there may be a lot of talk about estrogen, but not enough about the bioidentical progesterone. And so I'm here to advocate for that. Oh, I am too. I am too. You, you cannot use the synthetic progesterones. <laughs> and uh, Definitely yeah. not. Definitely yeah. not. All right. Well, wow. This has been such a fun conversation. I could go on all day and I'm, I'm looking at you and the people who are going to be listening to this podcast may not be able to see our video. Some will, but some won't. And I'm looking at you and you look like you could be my older sister. And I just want to say, is this what hormones does to you? It's not just the physical inside, but it's the physical outside. You look beautiful, radiant. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm 73 and I feel, wow. feel like I'm about I don't know, 45. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and if anybody wants my book, it's called Radiant. You just reminded me, it's called Radiant Again and Forever. And I'm just giving it away. You know, you can download it for free. And uh, I'd love everybody to have it if they, if any of your listeners would like it. <laughs> yes, thank you. And that's available on your website, correct? Yeah, you just go to the website, you put your email in and it immediately downloads to your email. Amazing. And that's the, the hallcenter.com. Yes. Hallcenter.com. Radiant again and forever. And Suzanne Summers, bless her heart and her soul, told me to write that book. We were oh, talking I love about it. it. It was earlier. And she said, Prudence, write this book where you talk about each woman in your consult room and what you would do for them. And so, you know, we have the menopause, we have the perimenopause, we have the low thyroid, we have the low adrenals, we have our hormones safe, we have a lot about sexuality. Oh, Dr. Lovely, I wish we could talk about that, but maybe another time. (laughs) I would love that. Hormones replace and regenerate and rejuvenate, you know, our sexuality, which becomes really dead dead, zero, zip, Uh, a patient, uh, oh, they tell me all the time, how's your libido? Dead, zero, zip, my husband's going to divorce me, my partner's going to leave me, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have to do that. We can no. make that loveliness. Oh, Dr. Lovely, that loveliness. <laughs> I'll take it. Well, you know, we're we're battling a few things here. We're we're battling that women not talking about the things that are seen as unladylike. That's what my mother's generation would have said about this conversation, right? That's in part why it's called Night Your Mother's Menopause, because... I I was not, uh, um, let's say I did not arrive in the world, as I look at my mother's picture above me, I did not arrive in the world uh, to be quiet. (laughs) 
much to my mother's chagrin. exactly and i you know i certainly heard that plenty when i was a kid but that's not how i'm built i'm here to talk about the things that we don't that we discuss decide is unsavory in our society and certainly menopause is that it's a taboo subject we're we're now coming out and talking about it but then the next layer of that is the sexuality piece and how women's uh pleasure um anatomy women's pleasure experience has been put at the bottom of the priority list in terms of um, uh, women's health. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, I I know Abe Morgenthaler. uh, He's just a wonderful, wonderful man. He's the father of testosterone therapy. And he invited me to go to his conference on testosterone for men, which which I do. He taught me how to do testosterone for men. And one of the things that came out of that big Harvard conference with three other top Harvard professors is that it is a scandal, an absolute scandal, that testosterone has not been approved by the FDA for women. And it is, I mean, you know, these are top Harvard professors. And Dr. Morgenthaler is the father of testosterone therapy. I mean, really revered. And they were all just saying this is scandalous that it has not been approved. Study after study shows the benefits in terms of bone and muscle and confidence and the brain. Testosterone is very important for the brain of women as well as for men. And, you know, so... It's just not, it's not happening. So we have to use the, the compounded hormones uh, and it's off label. It's, it's not FDA approved. It's not approved. And, you know, we need to really look at women and not, not only their, their sort of surface health, how they're looking, but it really also, you know, what their, what their emotions are doing and their sexuality. Because when women stop having sex with their partners, Maybe because their vagina is very thin and dry, or, or, or you know, it, it, very painful when a lot of women make uh, make love, and the vagina can even close physiologically. It's almost like mother nature saying, "No, you can't have babies. You don't get to have sex." But you know, not only there, but also in terms of their emotions. It, it's very rare, Fiona, when I talk to a new uh, woman. I'm I'm thinking of Danielle, really three days ago, where. I, I'm here to see you because I have. I used to have this beautiful sex life, and it just started dwindling the last five years. And now I can barely have an orgasm. I, I can. I, I have no desire. And I used to jump on my darling man, whom I adore all the time, and now it just doesn't happen. And he's. He thinks that I don't love him anymore, and this is really seriously hurting that intimate closeness that we shared. Wow. Yeah, this is a big conversation, and I hear about it a lot in my office, too, about women uh, having concern about um, the lack of intimacy in their relationship. And so there's a there's a there's a much larger context for this conversation, because, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing is. Uh, actually, Kelly Casperson and uh, her podcast called You Are Not Broken is excellent on this subject. But she says, you okay. know, have you asked a woman if she actually is interested in erect penis in her vagina? Because there's a lot of women that that's not their idea of pleasure. And yet, because it's society's idea of pleasure, that's the only thing that really gets discussed. Or that's the measurement for whether or not a couple is intimate or not. Yes. 
So look, there, there are so many ways that we can kiss the heart of our beloved. And, you know, with the eyes, with the touch, with the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the presence of consciousness with that person and penis in, penis out, or, 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 you know, homosexual, you know, lesbian relationships or whatever it is, you know, sexuality is expressed in different ways and probably different for each and every single person. And, but, but having the sexuality on the table, you know, I'm always telling women, you don't have to use your sexuality for sex. You can use it just to create connections with everyone. You know, the boy or the man is serving me a cappuccino and I'm feeling, I'm feeling this delight and this love that he's giving me. I mean, really, this is who we are. We're, we're very expansive beings as women. You know, yes. we have oceans of love and oceans of emotions. And, and that, that, that is kind of a layer of our sexuality. You know, just this open-hearted, Absolutely. collaborative nature that we have as women. And we need our hormones to help, you know, we become too closed. We become too kind of bitter and unhappy. And we need the hormones to really create the full-blown, beautiful, wild-hearted, not quiet, Dr. Lovely, uh, female that, that we are. Because we have the power to change the world. And it doesn't yes. be a hard power, you know? I mean, look at how beautiful you are. I mean, your voice is so important. I'm Thank so you. happy you decided not to be quiet. <laughs> I don't think they could keep me quiet if they tried. Well, listen, my mom still shushes me. I'm like, mom, how's that going? 50 years you've been trying that. <laughs> she just did it the other day. I'm like, mom, serious. <laughs> so what you've just said is beautiful. First of all, to the... Uh, to the boy, boy, uh, boy slash man, young man that's serving me my latte. Hello, oxytocin. Like, thank you for making me a beautiful, beautiful coffee beverage. Right. Yes. And I love what you talked about the heart opening. And there's many ways to touch the heart of our beloveds. I love this. And we must remember that we are literally mother nature's creative force. Even when we stop ovulating, we are still Mother Nature's creative force. And I love what you said about it doesn't have to be hard. Was it hard leadership? Is that the word you said? Yes, it's much more collaborative, um, integrated, all of us, all of us achieving what we need or part of what we need. You know, some of the masculine stuff is hard. It's overpowering. It's it's like, shut up. I'm the leader. That's it. Now we're collaborative, inclusive, and expressive. It's absolutely a way to lead and to be seen. And I love oxytocin. I prescribe it a lot. To- oh, nice. <laughs> Very nice. Um, so we're coming to the end of the hard leadership. We've done it for hundreds of years. There's a lot of reasons why that is. And, you know, you hear the quotes about uh, peace will come through the women or the Dalai Lama saying the Western woman will be who, who changes 
society who changes our civilization. So I'm so grateful to be alive during this and to be a part of this movement of, of peace and prosperity for all. And uh, I'm so grateful to you as a pioneer in women's health for bringing these um, the awareness of these women's health issues to the forefront. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of the collective. Thank you, sister. Thank you, Dr. Lovely. What a joy to talk with you. I just loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, and to you too. And I have one final question for you that I ask all of my guests, and it's this. If you could take all the information you have now and say something to your younger self, what would it be? It would be don't be afraid. Live boldly. Live from the truth that's in your heart and that's in your, you know, your many lives. Live from that truth. And don't, don't play a small game. Play the big game that you were meant to play when you came here. And if you want happiness, if you want to have a happy life, love boldly. Love boldly and uh, be in service. Be in service to those who need you. Yes. I feel like you're speaking right to my heart. Thank you. And you to mine. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hall. Thank you, Dr. Hall. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your health care provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your health care provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.